You're listening to the RUF at Western Carolina University podcast. RUF is a campus ministry that exists to reach students for Christ and to equip them to serve Christ, His church, and His world. For more information, follow us on Instagram. We're at RUFATWCU or look us up online at www.ruf.org. Thanks for listening. All right, so this semester, uh, in a few weeks, we're going to start a series on Romans 5 through 8. Uh, but before we do that, a couple years ago, I did a whole semester on relationships, and we talked about relating to God, relating to the church, to parents, friends, conflict, all that kind of stuff. Um, but one of the things that is pretty apparent about you guys uh, is that singleness dating and marriage takes up a lot of brain space and I didn't want to wait two more years before like everybody that had heard the other relationship series had graduated to talk about those things um, because they kind of come up a lot. Uh, So what we're going to do at the start of the semester uh, is do a mini relationship series where we talk about singleness, marriage, and whatever the heck happens in between those two things, whether you call it dating or texting or talking or a situationship or Whatever the thing is, we're going to talk about what the Bible says or doesn't say about those things. Uh, Tonight we're starting off with singleness, uh, which um, for many people uh, feels like the gift that my father, no, not my father-in-law, my, I don't know what you call my wife's ex-stepdad. Whoever that is to me. One year early in our marriage, uh, gave me for Christmas a flashlight hat. And this is a hat that you wear and has a flashlight tucked in under the bill. And this giant uncomfortable battery pack on the back of your head. And if you have a big noggin like I am blessed with, then like one size fits all hats aren't quite big enough. And so it really digs into the back of your head. And it's really just proof that he doesn't know who I am, right? He's like, this guy married my ex-stepdaughter, and I got to get him something. I think he just saw it in the checkout line at Lowe's and thought, like, maybe. And so he gave me this hat, and he's like, here's his gift. And I thought, great, this is good for a gimmick every once in a while. Um, But really what I wanted was the receipt to it so that I could take it back and exchange it for something else. And my guess is that that's how many of you think about singleness, right? It's a gift that maybe is well-intentioned, but you really would just like to exchange it for something else. Uh, But the truth of the matter is that for some amount of time in your life, you're single, right? It's weird to think of yourself as single, like, kind of before you hit college, right? Like, nobody thinks of a high school sophomore as single, right? Like, they're just a teenager, But as you approach college, as you get into college, and really as you approach graduation, right, like my guess is seniors, if you're in here and not dating someone, you probably more think of yourself as single as a freshman who's not dating someone, right? But but single and married are, are kind of the two categories that the Bible has for us, right? Even if you're dating someone right now, you fall into the single category in the Bible. So for this season of your life, with just a couple exceptions in here, um, you're single, right? Some of you may be single for a few more years. Some of you may be single for a lot more years. Some of you may be single for all of your years. 
The question is, what does the Bible have to say about singleness? What do we do with this gift that maybe we don't want? Uh, to answer that question tonight, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, it's printed for you in your handout there. Uh, I'll read it for us, and then we'll talk about it for a few minutes. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 7. This is Paul writing to a church that's like just full of questions, and a bunch of their questions were about relationships like this. He says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. And skipping down to verse 25, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Uh, just as a quick aside, some people use that verse to say that like not everything in the Bible is inspired or is authoritative, right? As if Paul's like, I don't know what God would say about this, so I'm just going to wing it in this section. Uh, no, what he's actually saying is that Jesus didn't speak specifically to this in his earthly ministry, but still, inspired by the Spirit, Paul is speaking authoritatively uh, in the Word, okay? So this is not like God doesn't care about our singleness, but Jesus didn't specifically address it when he was on earth, okay? Just a quick aside. Concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in the view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, that's engaged, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Let's pray, and we'll talk about what that means. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth that it reveals to us about who you are, who we are, and what you've done to bring us back to yourself. As we talk about singleness tonight and um, these other relationships in the next few weeks, uh, I pray that you would give us clarity, give us guidance, give us wisdom as we approach these topics. Uh, help us to see your goodness in all of it. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Credit where credit's due. Not all of this is original to me. Other RUF campus ministers have done relationship series, and they do a really good job, and I listen to them, and I'm copying some of their stuff. So, um, anti-plagiarism clause. Okay. Uh, what does Paul say about singleness in this passage? Well, right off the bat, he calls it a gift. And just about anybody reading it, whether the original audience in Corinth whether people somehow who had time traveled from the past, or whether us today, we read that and we kind of laugh at it, right? Singleness is not a gift, right? Marriage and relationships was, is kind of like a driving force for much of human history, right? Pre-Paul, like you needed the stability of the home to raise children, to produce an heir, to work your family farm, to care for you in your old age, Right? Uh, in Paul's day in Corinth, 
Uh, marriage was something that gave stability, right? Unmarried women were seen as like suspect and were kind of second-class citizens. And even today in our world, to talk about singleness as a gift is countercultural because in our world, romance and sex is everything, right? It is the religion of the college campus, right? It is the religion of music, right? It's what so much music is about, right? From Whitney Houston singing about you're nobody till somebody loves you. Nope, that's Dean Martin. Whitney Houston wanted to dance with somebody who loved her. Um, Ariana Grande and her breakup song, right? Like, I'm so glad I'm not with this person, ends with who's next on the list, right? Thank you, next, right? Like, all of these songs are about relationships. This is, this is what television is about, right? The, the will they, won't they of Jim and Pam and Dwight and Angela and Ross and Rachel and um, Jess and Nick, and, like, all of these shows move on romance, the Bachelors, and it's like 87th season, which is all about people trying to find this happiness in romance, right? It's, it's what our world is fixated on. But it's also kind of what our, the, the church can be fixated on at times in an unhealthy way, right? It's not to say that marriage and family aren't good things. The Bible has a lot of good things to say about marriage and about children. But... Marriage is not the only good gift that God gives, and children are not the only blessing that God has in his toolbox. But sometimes in the church, especially as you get older, as you get out of college, you hit your 30s, people who are single are viewed with pity, right? Or, or as like second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Both of these things are wrong, and I think in the same way. Both our culture and our church have mistakenly said that the goal of your life is romance, is marriage, right? The world's version might be a whirlwind romance or a one-night stand or like this dance, like your own version of Jim and Pam, will they, won't they, right? The church, the version is marriage and kids, but still romance is the goal of life to so many today, and they're both wrong. The goal of your life The aim and purpose of your existence is not marriage or romance or sex. It's Christ, right? It's holiness. It's union with him, right? Marriage is not the ultimate. Jesus is. That means that you are no more and no less loved by God as a single person than a married person. You're no less valued by God as a single person or as a married person. You have no more or less access to God as a single person or as a married person. Paul kind of says it doesn't matter if you're single or married. All are equal in the kingdom of God. All are saved by his grace. All are valued citizens. And, And when believers enjoy and use the gift of singleness as God intends, in contrast to what the world says about romance and what the church says about romance, it displays the sufficiency of Jesus' love for us, right? When you meet a single person in their 40s who is happy, it's like there's some deep well that they are drawing from, right? And that's Jesus. That's his love for them satisfying them. Paul says in verse 7, each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of another, The gift of singleness comes from God. The gift of marriage comes from God. 
And because God is good, he cannot give bad gifts. When Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is in Matthew 5 through 7, uh, he's teaching his disciples how to pray. And he tells them, like, ask for what you need, right? Pray for things like your daily bread, right? Pray for the things that are on your heart and the things that you need. And he tells them this, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a rock? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? All the gifts that God gives are good, right? Singleness is a good gift. Marriage is a good gift. All of God's gifts are good because they come to us in the nail-scarred hands of a crucified and risen king. There's this great essay by a a woman named Paige Benton Brown uh, called Singled Out for Good, Uh, She says in uh, the essay, uh, my younger sister got married two months ago. She now has an adoring husband, a beautiful home, a whirlpool bathtub, and all new corning wear. Is God being any less good to me than he is to her? The answer is a resounding no. God will not be less good to me because God cannot be less good to me. It's a cosmic impossibility for God to shortchange any of his children. This time of singleness, this gift of singleness that you have, is not like a flashlight hat, right? It's not like whatever you got for Christmas from that weird aunt who you only see every couple years, right? It's not the bunny suit in a Christmas story, right? It's a good gift from a loving Heavenly Father. But you say, okay, convince me that it's a good gift. I get that it's a gift, still maybe one that I don't want. How is it good? Well, here's what Paul says uh, in verse 28. Those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. And in verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. Here's the goodness of the gift of singleness. Um, Relationships take time. They take energy. They take thought and intentionality. And sometimes relationships produce stress, right? Any relationship does that. Your relationship with your friends does that, right? It takes energy, it takes time, it takes thought and intentionality, and sometimes it produces stress, right? Just because you have conflict with your friend doesn't mean they shouldn't be your friend anymore. Sometimes relationships produce stress. Surprise. Um, And the closer that a relationship is, the more those things are true. And there's no relationship closer than marriage, right? And so marriage takes time and energy and thought and intentionality and sometimes can produce stress, right? For a marriage to work, you have to spend time together, right? Which is not a burden. Ideally, you enjoy the person that you will marry someday, right? You'll marry somebody that you love, but it's a fact. When you get married, you have less time for other things. Uh, As you graduate and uh, get a job, one of the things that you will get with that job, hopefully, is this thing called vacation time, right? Half of your life is vacation time right now because you're only in school for like three months stretches um, and only two of them. But when you work Monday through Friday every day, you get this thing called vacation time, which is when you can say, I'm not going to show up on this day. I'm going to go have fun. And when you're single, you can use that vacation time however you want, right? You could sleep all day. You could go on a trip. 
Uh, our friend Missy from church uh, just went and visited Eva in Switzerland for like, I don't know, a week and a half, two weeks, uh, because she's single and she has vacation time. And she can do that at the drop of a hat. But when you get married, your vacation time goes to other things. You have to visit your in-laws, right? You have to take your kids to an optometrist or an orthodontist or a dentist or the pediatrician, right? Like your vacation time all of a sudden is not totally under your control, Especially once kids come into the picture, your life takes a lot more intentionality and planning. If you were to show up at my house every night, or any night, between about 7.30 and 8 o'clock, you would witness the like Broadway show level production that is bedtime, right? There are children to bathe and teeth to brush and pajamas to like get over people's heads, and there's the conversation every night of, no, you can't color with markers in bed. Like, there's a conversation every night. No, you can't, like, do this in bed. And what are the bedtime rules? Like, it's this whole production that happens every single day. And it's always a big surprise that we go to sleep at the end of the day. The only, when you're single, the only person that you have to put to bed is yourself. Right? Like, you don't have to go through all that crap when you're single. Marriage brings with it stress. Right? Sometimes it's because of conflict and miscommunication, but more often, the stress is just the circumstances of life. How are we going to navigate the schedules that our kids have and that we have and the different responsibilities that we have and the things that we want to do? How are we going to make time for that? How are we going to save for that? We have the money to pay all these bills, but somebody's got to log onto the website and like do the direct deposit thing. Right? There's just the stress of life in general. Now, marriage is great. I recommend it. I love my wife. I love my kids. I wouldn't have it any other way. But that's what the freedom of singleness is. That's where the goodness of singleness comes. It's that gift of freedom from all of those things. Right? So much so that Paul says in verse 38, which isn't on your handout, but just a few verses later, he says, So so then he who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage does even better. The goodness of the gift of singleness is the freedom that God gives you in that. And it's for that undivided devotion to the Lord that Paul alludes to at the end of verse 35. You are freer with your time, with your gifts, with your resources than you will ever be as a single person. The question is, what are you doing with that freedom? Right? I, I, I kind of find that people spend the freedom of, of singleness uh, negatively, poorly, in a couple different ways. Uh, guys tend to spend the freedom of singleness selfishly, on themselves, wasting it on frivolities. Right? Like hours-long marathons of video games, or stupid movies, or doom-scrolling on the internet, or just like, like doing nothing is how guys tend to spend their singleness. Girls, I spent, I, I, I've observed, tend to spend their singleness wishing to not be single, right? Like daydreaming about the day when God gives you the gift of marriage or some other relationship comes along. But Paul says the goodness of the gift of singleness lies in your freedom to love God and love others in radical ways, right? Like the Christian life doesn't start at marriage, that's not when the fruit of the Spirit start to kick in and when we really need to like, finally start taking obedience to God and love for Him and holiness seriously. No, those things, like cultivate them now while you're single. 
Boys, become men while you're single. Girls, become women while you're single. Pursue holiness and maturity in the Lord now, right? So that when God gives you the gift of marriage, like there's a lot less stress in it because you've already been doing the kinds of things that you want to be doing for the rest of your life. What does it look like to use the, the freedom of singleness for good? Uh, well, I'll, I'll talk about two different people um, as great examples of this. The first is one of my like, heroes as a pastor, uh, a man named John Stott. Uh, he was a pastor in England all of his life, uh, died in his early 90s uh, a few years ago, actually. Um, and he was single all of his life. At times, he wanted to, wanted to be married or thought maybe he should be married, but he never married. Um, but over the course of his life, uh, the number of people that he counseled, the number of sermons that he preached, books that he wrote, commentaries that he wrote, pastors and missionaries that he trained, churches that he helped plant, like missionary organizations that he helped start, it's just staggering. And looking back on his life, like as he's approaching 90, he looked back and he said, I couldn't have done a quarter of that if I was married, if I had a family of my own. He was able to give his life in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now that's like a super high, crazy example, right? A more common example, I'll brag on my wife for a little bit, would be Trish. Um, when we got married, she was already in her 30s. I wasn't quite there, um, but she had spent all of her 20s single. She had dated a couple people here and there, but like she'd never been married before. She was single until her 30s. And what she would do, she taught high school Spanish at a local Christian school uh, in Charlotte. And what she would do with her singleness, with her vacation time, with her summer breaks, was she would host VBS for local kids. Like through our church, they'd send some volunteers, but she would host VBS in her backyard in this neighborhood called Villa Heights, uh, which was like the, the sketchy neighborhood beside the nicer neighborhood that uh, a lot of people from our church lived in. Um, she would go on mission trips with her school to train teachers in Peru. She would go on trips with her friends, not for like missions work or anything, but just to spend time with people. She used her singleness really well to love God and other people in sacrificial ways that she honestly hasn't been able to do now that we're married. She loves me and my kids in sacrificial ways. She's loved some of you in sacrificial radical ways, but not to the extent that she was able to while she was single. The, gift, the goodness of the gift of singleness is this radical freedom to love God and others in ways that you just can't when you are married or you have kids. So I want to encourage you, pursue maturity now, because marriage will not automatically make you a better person. You don't wake up the morning after your wedding as a complete and mature and fully sanctified new person, right? You're still you. And maybe you even just realize your sinfulness a lot more when there's somebody there all the time. So work on maturity now. Uh, okay, last thing. What does it look like? Maybe, okay, it's called a gift. Maybe you're like halfway to thinking that it's a good gift. What does it look like to view it as a gift? And especially, what does it mean to be content with singleness? What, what would change? What would it look like? What would it take to see singleness not as something to endure or just get through, but actually as an opportunity for you. I think one of the things that would change is that we would stop believing um, the foolish and ridiculous things that people say about singleness, 
uh, especially that people in the church sometimes say about singleness, right? There's things that are meant to be an encouragement, maybe after a breakup, um, but are just really bad theology, right? Like as soon as you're satisfied with God, then he'll bring someone special into your life, right? As if God's gifts could ever be earned by us reaching some special level of devotion, right? As if it were possible for us in this life to be fully satisfied by God, right? Your singleness is not a curse for you not focusing on God enough. Marriage won't be a reward for you finally being satisfied in him, right? Or some people have said, uh, God has someone great out there for you. Just trust his timing, Number one, that's not something that God has promised in Scripture. And number two, singleness is not some purgatory where you wait in limbo, twiddling your thumbs until God's timing catches up with your desires. God gives you the gift of singleness now because you can better love him and others. You can better serve the kingdom. You can better grow as a believer, as a single person today. And God may someday give you the gift of marriage because then you will better love him and others. You'll be able to better serve the kingdom and you'll be able to better grow as a believer, as a married person. Now, contentment with singleness, viewing and embracing your singleness as a gift, doesn't mean that you have to somehow convince yourself or other people that you don't desire to be married someday. Right? I've seen and heard people do this in the past where they say, like, very intensely, I'm just happy in this season of singleness right now, as their teeth are clenched and tears stream down their face. And, like, I don't, I don't quite think that's true, and I don't think you need to be, right? Being content with singleness means seeing it for the gift that it is and enjoying it and using it for that full devotion to the Lord, even as you hope and pray for another gift someday. Again, Paige Brown writing, I want to be married. I pray to that end every day. I may meet someone and walk down the aisle in the next couple of years because God is so good to me. I may never have another date and die an old maid at 93 because God is so good to me. Not my will, but his be done. That's what contentment and singleness looks like. Not my will, but his be done. Right? I will take the gift that God has given me now and use it to the best of my ability, even as I long for something else. And I want to encourage you guys to work to get there, to see your singleness as a gift, and to use it for the gift that it is. Because if you get stuck on the lie that your singleness is a curse or a burden, that will lead you to one of two places, and maybe to both of the places, right? It'll lead you to desperation, Right? Because if singleness is this burden or this curse or this problem, then the solution is marriage or a relationship, right? And you will get desperate to make that happen. And so you'll make bad decisions in your singleness in pursuit of a relationship. Like going on dating apps, right? Where, where literally the only consideration for whether or not you're spending time with somebody is that first impression of how they look or how they think you look, right? That's not someone you want to be spending time with. You'll make bad decisions like lowering your standards and dating someone who isn't good for you or who isn't mature or who isn't a believer. You'll stay in a bad relationship because even a bad relationship is better than going back to the cursed hell of singleness, right? Or you'll rush towards marriage thinking that then finally you'll be whole and satisfied and complete. 
if we see our singleness as this burden, right, and we either like waste it in frivolity or just like try and hurry up and get through it, like what will happen is we'll have a lot of, of girls who just want to be married to somebody dating boys who are just like, okay, it's easy. She's doing all the work, right? And that's not what any of you want in this room, right? You want someone who wants you. You want someone who is mature. You want someone who is pursuing you and more importantly, pursuing the Lord. But if singleness is this curse or burden, it'll lead us to desperation or it'll lead us to doubt. We'll start to doubt God's goodness, doubt his love for you. Maybe you'll even wonder if he's overlooked you. God, do you see me? But if your singleness is a gift from God for your good, then it's not because of some lack of his goodness. It's proof of his goodness to you. He gives good gifts to his children. This doesn't mean it's easy, right? Some of us have that longing to be married real deep in us. And that means that, like, you probably should anticipate the gift of marriage. But it doesn't mean you should waste your singleness. In the meantime, right, like, that's what the Christian life is. Right? Growing to believe more and more strongly, more and more like at the level of instinct, that God actually loves us. That what he's doing, what he's bringing into our life, what he's taking us through is actually for our good. That he's with us and for us. We know this is true because of the cross. right? Because he's already given us not just a gift, but himself. Could you maybe believe that that's true about your singleness as well? Again, this is what the course of the Christian life is, is growing to believe more and more deeply, more and more instinctually, that God actually loves you. There's this great song by Andrew Peterson uh, on the album, The Burning Edge of Dawn, where he talks about his longing for the second coming and all things being made right. And at the end of the song, after he's talked about all the things that he's hoping for, he describes like as if he were having this vision of it like coming and and crashing into him. And he says one of my favorite lines in the song, one of my favorite lines that he's written is, um, I had a dream that I was waking on the burning edge of dawn, right? The light's coming, the king is coming, uh, and I could finally believe the king had loved me all along. Right? That's what the Christian life is, is getting to that point where like, we believe that the king has loved us all along, that what he's taking us through, what he's bringing us through is for our good. I'll end with these uh, words from my friend Sammy Rhodes, uh, RUF campus minister at South Carolina. God doesn't promise you marriage. He doesn't promise you singleness. He promises himself. No matter what he takes you through, Whatever trials he might bring, however long it might last, and however difficult it might be, Jesus says to you, I am with you always. Let's pray.